good morning, everyone. So glad to see you. I wanted to talk about something that's awesome before talking about something that's infinitely awesome. Uh, but something that's pretty cool, uh, if, if you've been here over the last several weeks, uh, you became aware that a couple came forward and they offered uh, up to $30,000 in matching funds that if anybody gave to the vision, they would double that gift up to thirty. And that was kind of an odd call. And then another couple came forward and said, uh, we'll do the same thing up to twenty. And then another one said, we'll do the same thing up to ten. And so there was like $60,000 that was put up. And if anybody gave to the vision, it would be doubled up to sixty. And I just want to give you a quick update that uh, as of uh, this week, I think we're like at four, almost, we're right at the cusp of, of having taken in 40 of that 60, like in three weeks. Uh, so that's really an amazing thing I wanted to share with you and just to thank you and let you know that uh, we're catapulting the, the future by uh, moving out of debt and taking care of some of that. Uh, so we can thank God for that uh, uh, generosity that everybody's shown. But it is eclipsed by this season and uh, the good news of Christ. And I love the way uh, the Bible says uh, that Jesus was a mystery that was kept hidden for generations. That's an interesting thing to think about. He's a mystery that was kept hidden for generations. Colossians 1.26 says that. And I was thinking of how our Christmas gatherings often will play off of gospel reality. So our Christmas gatherings play off of this idea of mystery and surprise, of, of mystery and revelation. So you think about the Christmas tradition, you make a promise to somebody, uh, directly or indirectly, you make a promise to bless another person, and so then you go out, usually in secret, and you go and you secure the most generous gift you can afford for that person, and uh, you know the degree of your love is showed by the thoughtfulness and, and uh, the, 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 the utility of that gift. And then uh, you, you wrap it in paper, and you stick it under a tree, and you wait for months if you're one of those discipline shoppers or days if you're a typical guy. But uh, you put that gift under the tree, and you let the expectation of those that you love build. And if you really mean you hire a friend to play the Grinch and come in and take those presents, uh, make all your kids cry. Did anybody see that clip? That was terrible. Somebody hired it, and the kids started beating up the Grinch. It didn't go well. But... Uh, but if you love someone, you let the expectation build and you leave the gifts alone under that tree. And that's exactly what we see with God the Father. That the Father promised Adam and Eve that a child would come. That that would be the gift of all time. He promised Abraham generations later uh, that every nation on earth would be blessed through one of his offspring. And it's not like, uh, you know... How many of you, when you give a gift, you're so excited about it, you can't contain the excitement, uh, you know, you wrapped it up, you're trying to conceal it, but you can't keep the secret very long? How many of you are like hint dropper gift givers? You seed the clouds a little bit, let people know, give them some clues. If they're diligent, they might even be able to figure out what the gift is. You know, God made this promise, and generation after generation, he renews the promise in the Old Testament. It's an amazing thing to read. But it's not like God kept it a real, he's not very good at keeping secrets. It's not like God didn't seed the clouds. Because in the Old Testament, it's so amazing, God just drops hint after hint after hint of what, of who was to come. 
And that's what's so powerful about the Christian faith is Jesus didn't just show up in a vacuum of history. The, the Father kept telling people, revealing, uh, tearing off little corners of the package so that anybody that was curious could begin to get their mind around what was about to happen. So, for example, in Deuteronomy 18, God tells Moses, I'm going to raise up a prophet who's like you. And in verse 18 of chapter 18, he says, I'm going to put my words in his mouth, and he's going to speak everything that I commanded him. There's no one greater in Israeli history, in Jewish history, than Moses. Moses uh, radiated the Father's glory. He had a special, unique relationship to the Father. He went up on the mountain. Uh, God showed his glory to him. He came down. Uh, It was a spectacular thing. Well, if one greater than Moses was to come, just who would that be? And how great of a person would that be? You know, uh, one of the greats in Israeli and Judaism, uh, Jewish history, was King David. Well, David was told that someone was going to come and that someone would establish his throne forever, for eternity. Pretty extraordinary revelation, wouldn't you say? Uh, Daniel, we spent a lot of time in the book of Daniel. And Daniel received a vision of a son of man who would come and who would establish a kingdom that would never end. In fact, this kingdom would grow and grow and crush every other kingdom of men. You know, God was revealing the mystery, the secret. And one of the most profound books, uh, one of our classes uh, has been uh, talking about the book of Isaiah for some time. And there's like 60 plus chapters. I was going to say 66. Is that right, Steve? 66 chapters in Isaiah. And you read the, the book of Isaiah and Christ just oozes forth in every chapter of that great book. But God tells Isaiah, you know, Isaiah seven fourteen, the Lord himself is going to give you a sign. And that sign is going to be a virgin is going to conceive and a son is going to come forward. And that son is going to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's not just a partial revelation. That's like giving the whole gift away right there in in one verse. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, just a few chapters later, verses 6 through 7, God tells Isaiah, a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, the whole kingdom, the whole government will be on his shoulders. And we're going to call him, he will be named Wonderful Counselor, he will be called Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now, those are all names that you would only ascribe to the God of heaven and earth, to the Father himself. And so a child is going to be born, and we're going we're to call him God. A, 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 a man, a child, a, a son's going to come forth. The dominion, his dominion will be vast, and the prosperity of his kingdom will never end. He'll reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom. And he'll establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness, not just for now, but forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of the armies is going to accomplish this. Wow, that's pretty specific about who Jesus is and who he would be. And then Isaiah 11, it just gets more and more powerful. A a shoot will grow up from a stump of Jesse. How many of you cut down a tree in your backyard? You know, when you cut that tree at its stump, that tree for all practical purposes is dead. There's nothing that's going to come out of that stump. 
Stumps very quickly die and deteriorate and nothing comes of them. And the nation of Israel had all this potential to bear fruit and bring glory to God and all these wonderful things, but it was like a barren fig tree that never produced any fruit. And so uh, the, the tree gets cut at the stump. You know, the Israelites went into exile uh, to Assyria and then uh, later to the Babylonians and then they were under Roman oppression and it seemed like a stump that had no hope, it, just like a dead stump in your backyard. But God tells Isaiah, watch that stump because from that stump of Jesse, of King David, a branch is going to come and roots are going to bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord is going to rest on him. It's going to not be a thing. It's going to be a person, a person. It's like a genealogical branch of David, a descendant of David, of Jesse is going to come. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on this individual, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And that person's delight will be in the fear of the Lord. And he's not going to judge by what he sees with his eyes. He's not going to execute justice by what he hears with his ears. You know, uh, somebody said that the, the justice that God brings is not social justice. You know, social justice is all about taking the social temperature. And what we see and what we hear, we just kind of parrot. You know, Jesus didn't come parroting men. He came bringing, like, God's justice, true justice. He didn't just say what he saw or what he heard, but he judges the poor rightly and he executes justice for the oppressed of the land and he strikes the land with a scepter from his mouth. He kills the wicked with a command from his lips. You know, Jesus took the monopoly board and just, you know, upended the whole order of humankind. Righteousness was will be like a belt around his hips. Faithfulness will be like a belt around his waist. And so there will be a, a redemption of man and of governance and, and people will be brought under the lordship of God and Father through this individual. Isaiah's, I mean, God kind of like unwrapped the whole gift for him and said, this is what you're going to be getting. And then he wrapped it all back up again. I mean, it's crazy. But the scope of redemption isn't just between man and God and, and man and one another because Isaiah is also showing that the created order itself, nature itself, will be redeemed from the curse. And so the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and a leopard will lie down with a goat, and a calf will, with a young lion, you know, the, the fattened calf and the lion will be together, and a child will lead them. A, the cow and the bear will graze. Uh, the young ones will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like cattle. That's interesting, a lion grazing like cattle. Uh, an infant will play beside the cobra's pit, usually frowned upon. A toddler will put his hand in a snake's den. And they will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain. For the land will be as full as the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. Isaiah, a child is coming, and the scope of his blessing will be in totality to the very edges of the universe. There will be nothing in all of heaven and earth that won't be reconciled and redeemed through this child. There is no real secret, no real Christmas secret in a way. If you know your Old Testament, 
then the whole story's been given away. In explicit detail, God shows Isaiah not just this Christ child, but that this Christ child was going to be the servant of God. And that this servant of God, this suffering servant, would enter glory through suffering, even death, and that by his death we would be healed. So, so how does the New Testament begin? You know, all these folks that had spent their life knowing the Old Testament, memorizing it, reading it in their synagogues, uh, understanding it in the temple, being taught, right? When you get to the New Testament, all eyes are toward the sky. You know, uh, children, their eyes are toward the sky this season because we tell them to look to the sky to expect a sleigh with reindeer and gifts and, and blessings. And, and they've been trained to look for that kind of a gospel, that kind of good news in the sky. And so... You know, when I was a little kid, I'd be looking out the window at the stars, and I'd be like, okay, you know, is this going to happen or not? And, uh, you know, when you start the New Testament, all eyes are to the sky. They're waiting for the light of hope to appear in the darkness. How did they know that a light of hope was to come? You know, the shepherds, all these different people, the wise men, they're anticipating something, right? Someone, not a, not a thing, a king. They're waiting. And, and what does Galatians 4.4 4 tells us? It's a great Christmas verse. It says, when the time of completion arrived, in the fullness of time, God sent his son born of a woman. Just like Isaiah, Adam and Eve, Abraham, David, the whole. And, and why did God send the son? To redeem us, to adopt us to be our father forever, that we would be his true sons and daughters forever, to make us eternal heirs of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 1.3. I mean, it's an incredible thing to contemplate. One of the things I, I like about the New Testament is uh, no matter what book you read, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or even something later on, Revelation even, it's kind of like that Christmas afterglow. Uh, do you know uh, Christmas afterglow, you know, everybody's unwrapped their gift and they have it in their hand. Everyone's enjoying their gift and they're sitting around, but then the conversation starts in. And, and, and a person will be like, yeah, we're kind of surprised, but kind of not. Because you remember uh, a, a month ago when we were at the mall and we were looking at something and somebody told us to go and, da, 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 and this and this and that. I think that's when they bought the gift, you know. And, and everyone starts to put all the pieces of the puzzle together. And, yeah, we're kind of surprised but kind of not. Do you remember when God told Adam and Eve, they had this odd conversation in the garden that some child was going to come that was going to crush the head of Satan? And, and do you remember when God told Abraham that one of his offspring, that through him all nations were going to be blessed? And, and generation after generation, you remember when God told David that he was going to take his throne and establish it forever? And, and do you remember when he talked to Isaiah? And, and do you remember the psalmist, how they were filled with despair, but then God declared hope to them and, and, and showed them the Christ, Psalm 22? I mean, all these different things. We kind of saw Christ coming all the way along, all, all the way along, right? We kind of saw the gift coming all the way along. That's how the New Testament is. It's like the Christmas afterglow. The sun has arrived, and, 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 and now they're putting all the pieces together, and they realize that God didn't do a very good job keeping this circuit, right? You know, like it, it's all right there staring us in the face. The Father didn't wrap him up tight enough. 
uh, in love, the father kept spilling the secret drip by drip by drip. Do you remember uh, after Jesus died, he was buried, he was raised, and there was rumors spreading about his resurrection, and, and there were different ones that Jesus appeared to. Well, there's two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they're walking along, and they're contemplating all the events that have happened, and everyone's talking, and, and all these rumors are circulating, and they're trying to figure out, well, who exactly is this Jesus? And he died, and he was raised. Like, they're trying to make sense of it all, and suddenly a man walks up behind them, and his mystery is, is cloaked, his identity is cloaked, and he starts to show them. He's like, what well, do you remember uh, this in the Old Testament? Do you remember that? And do you remember all these things? He's connecting all these things. And these two uh, disciples in their Christmas afterglow, uh, and also the resurrection afterglow, are like saying, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, that's right, that's right. And then all of a sudden Jesus shows himself to them. And they realize that it was Jesus that was walking with them, connecting all these dots. And, and then they say, weren't our hearts burning within us? as he has drawn all these correlations and all these different things. You know, Jesus is the mystery of God unveiled. And, and, and Christmas isn't the beginning of a new story. It's the culmination of the single oldest unfolding story that began from the very beginning. God's purpose and plan and promises. You know, uh, but, but there's a way in which Christmas is also kind of the beginning of a new story. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old's passed away, but the new has come. It's an old story, but it's kind of a new story because as we enter into the story, God begins to, to change and transform us. Uh, how many of you uh, go to the movies? You probably don't want to confess it in church, but, uh, you know, the, the movies are... are uh, always very interesting. There's all these meta-narratives that appear in films, and it seems like there's a gospel longing and, and, and all this different stuff. But AMC created a commercial to promote their movies. They paid $25 million to Nicole Kidman to have her do a commercial. So when you go to a movie, you're watching a commercial about going to the movie. It's like, I'm already here. Why are you wasting your time? Why are you wasting my time? But Nicole Kidman in this commercial is sitting in an empty theater, and she's talking about the power of story to change us. And it's like, you know, her face is radiating from the, the halo of the light cast from the projector. And, you know, everything's, you know, perfectly scripted and, and all that. And uh, she's absorbing clips of Jurassic Park and Wonder Woman and La La Land and all these movies. And she's talking and she's describing uh, the indescribable feeling we get when the lights begin to dim. And somehow heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Have you seen that commercial? Somehow heartbreak feels good in a place like this. These stories give us comfort and strength and encouragement, as she's saying. And I'm, I'm, I'm watching these, this commercial. It's been on so many different times. But I'm thinking about the Christmas story and how the Christmas isn't only the first and oldest story. You know, not only does it go back to the beginning of creation, it goes back to the foundation of the world. My apologies to Jurassic Park, but it goes back even before that. You know, Christmas is the story of all stories. And it's a story that changes all other stories. Uh, Christmas changes your story and my story and the story of history and the story of nations, Daniel was shown. The, the story of all heaven and earth and even the created order. It changes 
the story of the Lion King. You know, you're not going to be eating flesh. You're going to be grazing with cows. You know, I mean, every story is changed by the Christmas story, the sun that will come. You know, we're not talking about La La Land anymore. We're not talking about Wonder Woman. We're not talking about Nicole Kim. We're talking about the God of the universe coming near to us. There's two aspects of the Christmas story that you can reflect on, and I hope you will, that kind of enrich it even more. Like, for example, part of the wonder of the Christmas story is really getting our mind around two things. One is that in Christ we experience the presence of God among us, like literally and fully. That in Christ, God is truly present among us. You know, that's why Isaiah was told that this child was going to be named Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. And when you read the Gospels, they introduce everything. This is God showing up among us. What would happen if God showed up among us? How would it unfold? And and what kind of a spectacle would it be? Uh, In January, we're going to be back in the Gospel of John, and we went through some of the first part of the Gospel of John earlier this year, and we're going to go through the last half of it uh, starting in January. But I love the Gospel of John, just as a refresher, because John's like, this is what happens when the God of the universe is present among us. The Word who was with God in the beginning and was himself creator God, he comes into the world, John says, And he dwells amongst us and camps out amongst us and and tabernacles amongst us. Same idea. And here's what happens when uh, God turns on the high beams of the glorious light of life, the one and only Son in Jesus Christ. Here's what happens to the darkness. He dispels the darkness. And the darkness is confused and, and doesn't understand it and resists it. And here's what happens when God displays his glory Uh, the glory that he told Moses was coming, Uh, one greater than Moses, one full of grace and truth. Here's what happens when he shows up. Here's what happens when he shows up in the wilderness with John the Baptist. Here's what happens when he shows up at a wedding where they've run out of wine. Here's what happens when he shows up alongside the Sea of Galilee where some unsuspecting, unwitting disciples are cleaning their nets. Here's what happens when he shows up under a fig tree where a person is contemplating God. Here's what happens uh, when he shows up in God's holy temple where corruption had taken hold. Here's what happens when he shows up one night in a Pharisee's home who's got questions about God. Here's what happens when he shows up at a well where a seemingly unredeemable Samaritan woman is drawing water and has been cast out by her community. Here's what happens when, when God stands before the vast harvest fields of harassed and helpless refugees that are are seeking some kind of peace in their life. People without God and without hope. Here's what happens when he shows up by the sickbed of a boy or at a sheep gate where people were dumping the blind and lame and paralyzed because they didn't know how to care for them and they would just dump them off every day and forget about them and Jesus shows up. And, And here's what happens by a pool that people imagine has magic powers because they have no real hope in life. So they're looking to this pool and they think that if the waters are stirred at a certain time in a certain way and, and if you're lucky and, and everything works out and the, the cosmos and all of its powers align that, hey, you'll be healed. And Jesus shows up to be true, to bring true healing to those who are there. Here's what happens when Jesus shows up on a mountain where 5,000 people are fainting from hunger. When he shows up late at night 
on the Sea of Galilee where the wind and waves have whipped the disciples into utter fatigue and despair. Here's what happens when the graceless mobs are poised to stone a woman called in adultery and Jesus shows up at her side. Here's what happens at the funeral of a dead girl. Here's what happens at the funeral of a dear friend Lazarus. You know, you go through these gospels and they're asking us to understand, like, this is what happens when God is present and he shows up in the midst of our pain and despair. In Christ, there's a supernatural peace. His presence brings a supernatural peace. In Christ, God is truly present, not just among us, but also within us. We're going to talk about that in January. Uh, on New Year's Day, we're going to talk about Christ in us, the hope of glory. What, the, what does that mean? We know what it's like. You read these stories. We know what it's like to be in those stories. We know what it's like to be without God and without hope in this dark world. We know what it's like without feeling God being with us. But have we tasted what God, what our lives can be when God's present with us in Christ? Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Time after again, when Jesus is present, he's able to give something that the world can't give, true peace. I don't give you as the world gives you, he says. Don't let your hearts be troubled or fearful. And not only does he give peace now, but he also promises peace for eternity. I think about Revelation 21, where John's writing. You know, he wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote the book of Revelation. He had these visions. God was showing him the future. And God tells John, he says, Then I heard a loud voice from God's throne. And the voice says, Look, God's dwelling is now with humanity. And he will live with them. You know, in the Gospels, we get a picture of, of momentarily of Jesus entering time and space and matter and, and Jesus entering history and bringing peace to people in story after story. But Revelation tells us it's going to be that way but for eternity. God's dwelling will be with humanity and he will live with them. He's not coming and going. It's going to be a permanent condition. We will be with him forever. And his dwelling will be with us and ours with him uh, they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. The gospels are a foretaste of eternity. Jesus wiped away every tear from people's eyes. Death was no more. Grief, crying, and pain was no more because Jesus was able to make the previous order pass away and usher in true reality of healing and hope and life. And uh, But that is a foretaste of eternity. Uh, then the one seated on the throne said to John, look, I'm making everything new. I'm making everything new. Not only are you going to be a new creation, but the whole order of things, everything from the least to the greatest will be recreated. You know, somehow heartbreak feels good in a place like that, doesn't it? Heaven, you know, everything will be turned upside down. All of our sorrows uh, will melt away and there will be true comfort because there will be true comfort. There will be true hope. Uh, not just a story to make us forget our stories, but a story that redeems our story. Somehow heartbreak feels good in a place like that. AMC don't got nothing on Christmas, right? So uh, a big part of the wonder of Christmas, read the Gospels and that's the power of God's presence showing up in our darkness. It's a foretaste 
that is cemented for eternity in Revelation, uh, and we have true hope through his presence. Let me talk about the other side of that coin, though. We don't just have a sense of God's presence at Christmas in Jesus. We also have a sense of God's power in Christ at Christmas. So it's one thing to experience uh, God's presence. I think it's another to taste his power. And Maybe they go hand in hand. But I think of Romans 1.16, a great Christmas verse. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. That's a Christmas verse. You know, salvation has come, and it has the power to save everyone who trusts the story, uh, who trusts Jesus. You don't have to be a Christian or a believer. You don't have to be of any particular religion even to understand man's need for salvation. Uh, Man's need for salvation shows up in every story, every narrative, every religion, every non-religion. Everyone agrees, atheist or not, that the world is broken. You don't have to be a believer to contemplate the incredible power it would be that would be needed to bring salvation to humankind. Whatever you assume to be true of God, you would agree that you've been cut off from God. He's invisible and you're disconnected from him. What kind of power would it be would it take to connect you to God? What kind of power would it take to reconcile you to God? What power, you know, even an atheist will say that it's important to be a good person. Even an atheist recognizes that that goodness is some kind of a requirement, if not for eternity, certainly for life. It's some kind of an important concept, isn't it? And yet we all know that we fall short of the goodness that we want to have. What kind of power might allow us, you know, to span this great chasm between a, a holy God and a moral and spiritually rebellious person? What power might quench the fury of God's holiness and wrath and and justice? What power might bring everlasting light and life and true forgiveness to mortal man? It has to be something pretty incredible. What power might free us from our own carnality, from the power and control of our own mortal flesh? We're always trying to help ourselves, but we never find self-help enough, do we? What power will it take, would it take, might it take, to destroy the dividing walls of hostility and cruelty that keep getting erected by men all the time, all around the world, 24-7, 365 days a week. How are these walls going to be dismantled? What power might silence creation's groans? Even creation groans for redemption. What power might redeem us from the curse of a death? Uh, What kind of power might change the narrative of, you know, a lion to, to, to graze, you know. A blue Christmas, I think, is a Christmas void of God's presence, void of God's power. But in Christ, there is such a richness to this. In Christ, there's forgiveness of sin. There's full reconciliation with God as Father available. In Christ, there's freedom from the corruptive power of sin that's robbed you and me of life. In Christ, there is family restoration that starts individually and and moves into the marriage and family, but is not bound by family, that even neighbor is redeemed, even enemy is redeemed, that all of humanity becomes the family of humanity that God intended it to be. There's true family restoration 
where we no longer relate as enemies, but as brothers and sisters and co-adoptees and, and co-heirs in Christ. And in Christ, there's a future. There's forgiveness, there's freedom, there's a family. There is a true future. So we look at this life and we despair because we realize that the days are getting cut short and to dust we came and to dust we return and we contemplate this thing that we have no future. Uh, we know the span of a man's years and if we're lucky, we'll reach all of them. But there's so much tragedy and chaos and whatnot. And, and so this can be a very blue, blue Christmas but Jesus says that our life is not bound by time and space and matter, that, that our life can be everlasting. Not just life to the full now, but it can be life everlasting. You can have a future. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. I'm the resurrection and the life, he says. Though you die, yet shall you live. Are you willing to trust God even in death? He said, I'm going to the Father to create a space for you. And if I go there, I have the power to come back and take you to be with me forever uh, in the presence of the Father. And I'm going to that place. He died, he was buried, he was raised, he ascended. I'm going to a place to create a place for you for eternity. And if I go, I'm coming back to take you with me forever. Is there something really to trust and put your faith in this Christmas, is there a true story that changes all other stories? Is there something to put faith in? Is there true forgiveness available? Is there true freedom from the power of sin? Is there a true family that can be reconciled together out of the cruelty? Is there a true future beyond death? You know, Paul prays and prays, and uh, you know, I think a lot of people, when they pray, there's a lot of folks that will say, I don't believe in God because prayer doesn't work. I've had several people tell me that over the last several weeks. I don't believe in God because prayer doesn't work. And the thing that enters my mind is, well, what kind of prayer are you doing? What kind of prayer are you doing? There's a now and not yet to our hope. If you're praying for the not yet realities, you might get a foretaste of those now. You might experience them in measure now substantially. But you'll completely experience those realities in the end of the age. You'll have the full inheritance of every spiritual blessing in Christ. So if you're praying that you get everything now, God has, he has said not yet. He, didn't say, he says now you get a foretaste, but not yet. The not yet part is the best inheritance. You know, you're going to be heirs in the future of the fullness of all that God's going to give you. So if you're praying that way, I can understand maybe why you're discouraged. But the other thing about prayer is, is what is, what is the, the Bible, what, what do they largely pray for us to do now? They pray that our eyes would be open, that our hearts would be open, that we have knowledge into the inside of this mystery that's of Christ. And I wonder how many people pray that way. Pray that God would show you his presence and power in the person of Christ. Pray that God would stoke your anticipation for what's not yet been fully unveiled, which is revelation, right? Paul in Ephesians, I want to end with this. And I think this Christmas, maybe pray this way. A Christmas prayer. Uh, Paul says this in Ephesians 1. I'm going to read a little bit out of Ephesians 3. He says this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes and just pray these things here this morning. 
I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to his mighty working of his strength. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand, at his right hand in the heavens. Ephesians 3, for this reason I kneel before the Father in prayer, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love. I pray that you know Christ's love, a love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know, that's a prayer that I believe God will answer fully for you this Christmas. That if you pray to know his love and to know his power and to know his presence in Christ, if you're willing to open your heart and your mind and allow God to establish you in his love, if you want to, if you want to wait the probability of God's existence on some prayer that you might offer up, why not, why not stake it on that prayer? God, show yourself to me in Christ this season.